Happy, happy Sunday. Glad you guys are here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, several who are coming back now at about 25% here in the, in the uh, sanctuary, which the government says is all good to go nowadays, even indoors for churches. So, so cool. And uh, we're so glad for the many of you that are joining us online as we're talking about being one church in multiple locations, one in heart, uh, one in focus on the Lord. And, uh, and I pray that your Sunday's going really well. That was a and all super good worship. I have to say, like, I, for uh, I love listening to Brandon lead. And today, I don't know, he had a little bit of extra talking in there, a little like, come on in. And I was like, yeah, come on in and let's do some of that. And so it's a really good job. Thanks, Brandon, for leading us in worship. So cool and so cool. So thank you. Thank you, brother. Uh, let's start out with our shouts. What do we do? Love God and love others. What do we say? I love God and I love you. All right, so last week was super, hear, uh, super awesome hearing God's word through Pastor Jason uh, in the adult service as he was highlighting how God's interruptions are better than our best laid plans. And uh, he was also reminding us of that need to check our hearts as God's disruptions show up in our lives so that we have the right heart when God's doing it, not like Jonah. So that was really cool. And so thank you, Pastor Jason, for sharing last week. Uh, I'm always excited when, when I get to hear God's word from different folks and, and how God is moving in them and so exciting. Today we're going to see that not all disruptions are huge changes. Sometimes one degree is all that's needed. Did you guys uh, see the Mars landing this week? Uh, I don't know if you don't know that about me. I love space stuff. I wanted to be an astronaut from like when I was zero to when I was like 17. I wanted to be an astronaut and and so I'm always geeked out by this, uh, uh, any space kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, there's a picture right there, right? Do we just see that? Oh, this is so cool. This is a, a panorama picture that uh, the, the rover that landed uh, Perseverance uh, on Mars. Now, I was actually tricked. There was one on Facebook that had it like go 360. You could look up, down, all around. And I was like, whoa, that's the coolest thing ever. And then I didn't read it, and I actually shared it on Facebook. And then I read this small, and it said... Uh, the panoramic is not, uh, the full panoramic has been made in an Oculus or something. I was like, oh, I was so disappointed. But uh, this is an actual photo. This went to NASA, so NASA tells me about that. And so this is one of those panoramic photos. So cool. I, I don't know why I'm just fascinated by that kind of stuff, and I get all geeked out about it. So in one article I was reading about Mars, I was struck at, like, I was kind of thinking, like, how far away is Mars? And I, so I looked it up, and Mars is 140 million miles away, 140 million. Like I tried to jog a mile once and like I didn't get through the whole mile. A hundred miles would be really far. A hundred, a million miles, 140 million miles away. The sun is only 92 million miles away, so it's like close. So Mars is like, like not quite twice as far away as the sun is, <laughs> so far. And, and uh, if NASA was shooting towards Mars, so they're coming from Earth, right? They're going to launch this rover to Mars over here. And if they have a direct line to it, if they are one degree off from the start point to Mars, that'll translate to 2.4 million miles off. They will miss Mars by a lot by just being one degree off. If they're just one degree off, Instead of hitting Mars, they'll be 2.4 million miles away from the destination they were planning on. And they've got to shoot straight. I don't know if you ever tried to shoot anything like a bow or arrow or a BB gun or a real gun. Like it's not always that easy to shoot that straight. Or have you ever tried to draw a straight line? It's like nearly impossible. 
and they have to hit this Mars 140 million miles away. And if they miss by one degree, we're talking two and a half million miles they missed it. You couldn't even see, like, see it. It would be like, hey, where'd Mars go? I'm in the wrong vicinity. Totally. So crazy. And that's what we're looking at today. The, the idea that God's disruption may only involve one, person, one degree. Like not a huge change, but resulting in a monumental difference. You see, maybe one degree isn't a huge change, but what is the effect in the long term? There's this huge effect. We're going to look a moment at a guy named Saul of Tarsus' life and his calling in order to see what I'm talking about in action. So Saul is this guy. That's his Hebrew name, Saul. So he's a Jewish guy. His Hebrew name is Saul. We more commonly call him Paul. Paul's his Roman name. And so he uses different names, depends on with who he's talking to. If he's hanging out with the Jewish homies, then he's Saul. If he's hanging out with his Roman friends, then, then he's Paul. And uh, so we're going to see uh, this guy in action right here in Acts chapter 7. Uh, while they were stoning him, this is the guy getting killed right now. Uh, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord don't hold this sin against them. Stephen's so cool, he's like quoting Jesus as he's getting killed as the first martyr. Probably not cool from his perspective because he's getting killed, but as we read it, it's pretty cool. When he said this, he fell asleep or he died. And Saul, Saul we're talking about, he approved of the killing of him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles, they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Okay, so here's our introduction to Saul. He's uh, standing there approving of the killing of, of this guy, Stephen. And then he, because of that persecution, breaks out, and they start, all these Christians scattered. Now, this is accidentally really good for Christianity, because all of the believers, people who are coming to Christ, this is only about a year after Jesus resurrected. So Jesus died resurrected. And about a year later, all the people who had like met Jesus, they stayed in Jerusalem. Because remember, Jesus said, I'm coming soon. You know, <laughs> like the kingdom is near. And they thought it was like literally going to be like that, that like next month or six months or maybe a year. And so they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And there's, remember we were learning, it was 5,000, then 6,000, then 8, like Believers are expanding exponentially and they're all gathering in Jerusalem and they're hanging out and they're selling properties and they're living together and they're just having this amazing time because they thought Jesus was coming back. So they were like just, just living for God right here in Jerusalem. And uh, what happens is Saul tries to stomp this out and by doing so he splatters. They're they all like, well, I guess Jesus is not coming right now. So rather than get killed, I'm going home. <laughs> and so they take off to their own hometowns which then created tens of thousands of missionaries going all over to different cities. So what the enemy intended for evil, what did God use it for? To evangelize the world. And that's how the church started to spread rapidly. And then uh, we see here that Saul decides to go house to house looking for Christians in order to persecute them and put them in jail. This is a serious dude. He's like, you know what? We need to stamp this out. I'm going house to house to find them. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This is in Acts 9. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters 
to the synagogues in Damascus, a different city, so that if you found any there who belonged to the way, that's how they called the Christians, so cool, followers of the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice uh, say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't know how Jesus said that. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Or did he like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I don't know how he said it, but, but he got his message across. Saul's persecuting. And, and Saul's asked, he goes, who are you? Like, Lord, like, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replies. Now get up, go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Men traveling with Saul, they stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. So here's Saul's disruption moment. We're talking about disruption. That's the series. Here is his disruption moment. Talk about a radical come-to-Jesus disruption moment. right? He literally gets knocked off of his donkey by like a, a burst of light. So you've got to picture it in your head. He's riding on his donkey, going to go persecute some Christians, going to go door-to-door like Jehovah's Witness, but bad, right? Like kill and, and torture people. So he's on his donkey, he's ready to go, and light shows up to him. How powerful is the light beam that knocks him off? You know, I'm thinking uh, like... Dragon Ball light beam sort of bounces him off of his donkey. He's laying in the ground. He gets blinded, you know. He's like, and, and he gets told, what's up by Jesus? He's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, who is this? It's like, it's Jesus, fool. And he's like, oh, I'm blind. And they lead him by the hand. Like, that is like an incredible, huge disruption moment. And, and Saul, we'll see what happens to him in just a minute. But, but what a huge huge disruption moments. Sometimes the disruption moments are huge like that. They are God crashing into you and knocking you off your, your donkey, knocking you cold, clean out. Sometimes there are these huge disruption moments. Sometimes it's like that. It was like that for Saul. And I know some people in, in our community, that, that that's how they came to Jesus, these huge come to Jesus, big moments. But, but disruption moments aren't always huge, and they don't have to be huge. Check out this next one. In Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yeah, Lord? And the Lord tells him something. So Ananias is just in his house. He's just sitting in his car. No? And sitting there, God comes to him in a vision. Nothing huge, and get knocked down, and get beat up. His disruption is much smaller. The Lord tells him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. That guy's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Ananias says, uh, Lord, I heard many reports about that guy and, and all the harm that he's done your holy people in Jerusalem, and, and that he's come here to, with authority from chief priests to go and to arrest everyone who calls on your name? The Lord says to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. <laughs> Not even like good, like it's bad, right? Then Ananias went 
to the house and he entered it and he placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent uh, me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off of, of Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and he's baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So here Ananias, is, here's his disruption moment. It's just a one-on-one personal vision. There's no one else in the room. There's no huge lights. There's no blinding for him. Jesus just fixed it, speaks to him. And Jesus asks him to go talk to this notoriously dangerous dude. And at first, Ananias is like, nah, I'm good. Like, do you see his response? He's like, hey, go tell him. And he's like, well, God, you know about this guy. Let me tell you real fast, because I know you're God and stuff. But let me tell you, like, I don't really want to get arrested and killed. I know Stephen, he's a, he's a friend, you know, or like whatever, right? He's like, I'm not really interested in doing that. And I think that is so true of most of us. Like, I, that is so true how I respond or how I would respond or how I do respond, even to the calling of God. Isn't that true for us? God comes and he disrupts our life and he shows us something we need to do. And maybe it's not a huge flash, but maybe it's just in the quiet of your car. Maybe it was in your morning prayer time and God disrupts and said, hey, I want you to go do X, Y, or Z, and you're like, nah, God, I'm, I don't really want to do that. Then that sounds too dangerous, but I don't think anything in my life sounds dangerous, you guys. But sometimes things seem out of my comfort zone. And I say, God, no, that's, that's not kind of how I am. I don't like going up to random people and sharing the gospel with them. Maybe, God, like, that's not my style. So many times we say, nah, to God's disruption moments. And we have a million reasons, and they sound good to us. I'll I'll just just love them from afar. (laughs) I'll just show them you, Jesus, by my actions rather than actually talk to them about you. And so how many times do we say nah to Jesus? Just like, a bit like Jonah, right? Now, Jonah was a little radical, like last week Pastor Jason was teaching us. He, like, ran away. Sometimes we don't even run away. We're just like, meh, and we go about doing our thing. As we see in Jonah and again here, I think it's best to just go with God on these disruption moments because God has something better for you than you can even imagine. See, God is wanting to do something in those disruption moments. He's wanting to do something not only to you, but, but to other people through you. But we've got to say yes to the disruption moments. We've got to not be scared and Ananias was scared, and so I think that's okay to be at first scared. It's okay at first to say, like, well, I don't know, God. Like, that thing makes me nervous. And then do it anyway, like Ananias did. Back to our verses. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, and they asked, isn't this the guy who was, like, raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Like, so confused. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffling uh, and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So Saul begins ministry right away. His disruption caused a change in him. It caused a redirection of his his passions. Now, his disruption moment was huge, but I'm not so sure like his life disruption really changed that much. 
When we get disrupted by God, I think it's really important that we just jump in like Paul does. Like Pastor Jason said last week about Jonah, like uh, maybe raise that excuse, but jump right in. And I think for Saul, we often use Saul as this this uh, picture of someone who's changed radically 180 degrees. We will say something like, he was a murderer, and then now he became a sharer of love. He went from murder to love, and and we use this example as a 180-degree change, but I don't think that's entirely true. Yes, he had a huge disruption moment, but I don't think his life was disrupted. I think it was disrupted by one degree. You see, Saul's occupation before, Before his disruption moment, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader prior to becoming a Christian. He was all about God. He was about the Bible. He was about spiritual things. He was about holy stuff. His life was filled with the religious, with the mind. He was working in the educated realm. See, God didn't really even ask him to change jobs. His job was to teach people about God and religious things. That was his job. All God did was ask him to allow Jesus to come into the job that he was already doing. And that changed everything. Look, Saul uses the exact same skill set. He uses the same education. He uses the same like uh, connections that he had prior to Jesus. I mean, he really was still in the same line of work. He was a religious figure that was teaching about God. And after his conversion, he was a religious figure who was teaching about God only there was a one-degree difference. His disruption moment caused a one-degree change, and the one degree was Jesus. See, the same mind, same person, same passion, same everything, and there was a one-degree difference, and that difference was Jesus, but that difference made an enormous change, though it was just one small degree change internally. Jesus is the one-degree disruption that we all need. And I think that God is causing a disruption right now, like literally at the church. I I think that this is many of your vision moments. Maybe I've been sharing, God's been speaking to you already, asking you to take a look at your life, maybe maybe to pause for just a moment and say, God, I want to be open to your movement. God, I have said no to you when I know you prompted me to do something. I have said no thank you when you were trying to disrupt my life. And maybe this is your wake-up moment. This is the moment God's speaking to you right now to, hey, be available for my disruption. And it's not going to necessarily be a 180-degree turn. Maybe it's just one degree change. Today, I'm praying that God knocks you off your donkey because God's disruption always produces good outcomes. And he, His disruption causes that one-degree change that's necessary for His plans to come to fruition in your life. Let me just highlight two specific areas to just to show what I'm talking about in terms of the one, de- one degree of change. And the first is in personality change. So God's disruption helps us to reevaluate and make changes like to who we are as human beings. God created us with personality. We have personality. There are things that we like, we dislike. Uh, we have different passions inside of us, and God created those in us. And so I don't think that when when we come to Jesus or when we get disrupted by God that it's necessarily your personality qualities change. Like uh, you don't all of a sudden go from uh, being loud and and outgoing to being quiet and and demure. I don't think that that's how God necessarily works. 
because God gave you a unique per personality. And so what I'm talking about is God changing that personality or affecting your personality just one degree, and that degree being Jesus. So I think about Paul. Paul was extremely zealous, or Saul, extremely zealous for God. And he confesses this later in some of his letters, that he was so passionate about God that he lived all of the rules that that Kid Venture Corner talked about. All the rules, Paul says, I followed every one of them my whole life. And so he was already extremely zealous for God. He just needed a tweak. He just needed a, a, a one-degree change, and that degree was Jesus, and it changed everything for Saul. Paul's an incredibly intense person, and he stayed that way. You read his letters, you'll find out Paul remained intense. He remained a door-to-door -door guy, a go-get-it guy, a, a passion-can't-stop-this freight train kind of guy. He remained that. He just had a one-degree difference of adding Jesus to it, a recalibration slightly because of Jesus' encounter with him. See, God takes something Paul is already gifted at, already zealous for God, and he turns it for his glory. So Paul's an incredibly committed person. Uh, God uses that just with tiny modifications. Paul's an incredibly intelligent person. He's well-read. He's educated. And what, is, what does the Bible say right away after he gets converted? He started to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. So he uses education right away. Used his keen intellect to argue. Read the book of Romans, and you'll be like, well, yeah, he's smarter than me. <laughs> and uh, I read the book of Romans, and I'm like, he's definitely smarter than me. <laughs> I don't even understand half of it. That's a cool, it's a good book. Thanks, Paul, for writing that. That's nice of you. So one degree takes that education, though. Add in Jesus is that one degree. Changes everything. He's writing books of the Bible. See, God created Paul and each of us with unique personality and gifts that he intends to use for his good to point back to Jesus. And I would say almost all personality traits could be something powerful in God's kingdom. Almost all of them. So, so the positive ones are easy. Maybe like you're naturally just really good with people. One degree change to use it to point people to Jesus, to be good with them and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Maybe you're comfortable on stage uh, talking to people. One degree change, and, and all of a sudden now you're preaching. <laughs> Someone who's incredibly kind or thoughtful. One degree to love others in Jesus' name. I mean, you already cared about people. You already loved them. And that one degree, now you love them in Jesus' name. Now you love them and tell them not only do you love them, but Jesus loves them. Just a one degree change. But it's not just the positive ones. The negative ones are also just one degree change away from being useful for God's kingdom. Maybe you have rage. Rage is one degree away from spiritual intensity. Man, God took the rage that I had, and, and for many years that fueled me to work for free at church, like 17 years. You know, like I lived off that rage that God fueled the spiritual intensity, and then it burned out, and I needed to get paid, and and that sort of stuff. So that's, you know. But, but that, the rage that I had prior to becoming a Christian, God used that to turn it to spiritual intensity. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you have apathy. Well, apathy is just one degree away from being patient. Right? That just means like, okay, I'll wait. You know, like that's a, that's a fantastic quality. Addictive personality, that's one degree away from being all in for Jesus. Right? Like, uh, Jesus is my thing. It's, uh, Maybe you're bossy. 
And that's one degree away from being a mentor. I tell you, you mentors tell you what to do, how to live your life. You know, it's exactly right. Maybe you're you're a tough guy. You know, well, that's one one degree away from perseverance. I I never claim tough. I don't want God to teach me perseverance. See, even our negative personality traits or what you thought was negative about your personality, it's just a one degree change away from being absolutely useful for God, a one degree of Jesus. How can God use the things that he gifted to you naturally for his glory? How can God use the passions that he placed in you for his purposes? Can you see that like even with this, whether it's a big or a small slight disruption, a one degree change and you're right where God wants you to be? And that's true in our personalities. And the second thing I want to highlight, it's true in our occupations or in our education. See, I would say more often than not, God wants you to stay in your same line of work. Like he wants you just to add Jesus to it. His disruption probably won't cause a radical occupational shift. Now, occasionally it does. Occasionally there's a disruption moment, you add Jesus, and all of a sudden you're like, well, I guess I can't be a stripper anymore. So sometimes that's true. If, you know, I don't, I'm not saying anyone here had that lifestyle before, but, but if that is true, that, that you probably can't continue that, that occupation. That that's when you'd probably have to say, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that one go and change your occupation. But for the rest, I think oftentimes all it is is that one degree is just going to change your focus in the work that God has already asked you to do. So to make it about him, not about you when you're working. So I'm, not, I'm, I'm going into work not for myself. I'm going into work to please God. Like, I'm, I'm making it about him. I'm not trying to make money just for me. I want to make money in order to bless people. So I want to take care of my family. I want to, I want to take care of the poor and orphans. I want, to, I want to be able to build an orphanage in another country. And just one degree change. God says, yeah, keep going to that work. Keep working hard. Not about getting famous, but making his name famous. Not about making yourself look good at your work, but maybe making God look good. Because when we're at work, we're trying to look good in front of the boss, right? It's always kind of for us. One degree change, maybe instead of you working hard and doing an amazing job so you look good, you work hard, do an amazing job so that Jesus is magnified. See, it's just a one degree change. Maybe from the outside, it looks like nothing happened. Maybe you came to church today, God disrupted you. You're like, boom. You're like, man, all I need is a one-degree change, and I'm hearing that, I'm feeling that. And, and tomorrow, guess what? You go to work. <laughs> you say bye to your wife in the morning or your husband. You get in your car and you drive. And maybe from the outside, if someone was looking from the outside in, it looks like nothing happened. But there's, in fact, been an incredible shift because of God's disruption. Think about Saul's life here we're looking at. If I'm the outside, I'm a, let's say I'm a Roman uh, guard or I'm a Roman like, shop owner, and I hear about this guy. Here's a religious guy, and he was really passionate, and then he met Jesus, and then now he's a religious guy who's really passionate. Right? It doesn't look any different from the outside Paul's life. And unless you're like really nuanced in the theology of the, the Jews of the time versus the Christians, and, and most people weren't, but from the outside looking in, Paul's life didn't really change at all. And maybe that's true for you. From the outside looking in, Maybe, maybe it's not that huge of a noticeable, but that one degree is going to change everything. That one degree change will hit Mars instead of being 2.4 million miles off of Mars. See, the one degree of change of adding Jesus into your life will get you at the end to say, boom, Jesus says, yes, you lived your life for me. 
That is fantastic. You did exactly this path. And if you didn't add that one degree, you're like, I get to heaven. You're 2.4 million miles off, man. Just that one degree of adding Jesus changes everything. How can one degree change in your, your view of work? How can it help you point to Jesus in whatever you're doing in your life? How can a one degree change in your thinking point to Jesus better at your school, in your classes, with your classmates, with your friends? Look, see, most times we aren't looking for God to disrupt our lives, right? Most of you didn't come this morning, well, I'm hoping for a disruption. I'm hoping things are going to change. Um, perhaps that was you this morning. Maybe you didn't come this morning thinking God wasn't going to even show up. You just came out of religious duty. You came because you're supposed to. Your parents told you. However, you didn't come to church or log on to service to have a disruption in your life. But that's exactly what God is doing today. From each and every one of us, He wants something more. But it's something incredible that it may be monumental, it may be huge. It may be small, the disruption, but it's going to be a huge change, just one degree. One degree of Jesus taking over, aligning our hearts to point to him like this precision laser so that I can hit the mark, not miss it by a a million miles. I don't know about you, but In my life, I want to hit the mark. I want want to live my life so at the end, I arrive at heaven. I arrive at Mars, not millions of miles off. I want to live in such a way that, that Jesus is like, great job. That one degree changed everything. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit come on each of you in your hearts. And he shine his light and he speaks his voice and he disrupts your path. I've been praying that that God would knock you off your donkey so you could see him clearly and follow him completely. So if you're able, would you you stand and and we're going to worship as we close together this service. And would you just take a minute to declare to God, God, I hear you and I will obey. Bring that one degree Jesus into my life.